Tonight's Manager Madrid podcast comes in two parts. It's our post-game show for the Valencia game. Obviously, part one, Lucas Navarrete joins Miki Sabani live from the Mestalla. He was there. So we talk about his experience there, um, the post-game pressers, what it was like being at the Mestalla. It's a quick 10-minute hitter, really. It's almost like a quick reaction and a prelude to a more detailed podcast, which comes in part two, where Om Arvind uh, joins me to break it down in more detail, everything from the goals conceded, uh, sorry, the goal conceded and then the goal scored, and also the tactical um, kind of wrinkles from start to finish, which was a weird game, but ultimately ended up in the most weird but um, breathtaking way possible with Courtois leaping through the air. So we discuss all of that. And just a reminder, patreon.com slash Madrid if you want to support the show and get access to a bunch of bonus content, including Wednesday night's post-game podcast for the Classical. That'll only be for patrons. Again, patreon.com slash Madrid. And without further ado, here is part one with Lucas Navarrete. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. All right, we have Lucas Navarrete here, uh, who is live at the Mestalla right now. The post-game press conferences have just ended. Lucas Navarrete, welcome to the show. Hello, Kian. Thanks for having me. You were at the stadium. The first thing that's on my mind to just ask you right off the bat, what what was the, the reaction inside the stadium when Courtois leapt through the air and Benzema scored on the rebound and, and uh, all that madness was going on? What happened? Yeah, well, whoever who, who watched the game uh, probably know by, by this time that the fans were really into this game. They they really wanted Valencia to get this win against Madrid, as they always do. So they obviously felt uh, frustrated when, when Benzema scored. And you, you kind of saw that, you know, the, the, the play was a little bit confusing. So some of them was kind of hoping that, you know, either Benzema was offside or, or so anything strange happened, but it obviously didn't, so... Yeah, the, the fans were obviously frustrated, but they also I have to say that they also were were proud uh, of their of their of the home team when when it all ended and you know they gave the, their players a standing ovation. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it was it was actually quite a quite an amazing moment and just kind of ridiculous also, but also it just the sheer ridiculousness of it was um, what I thought was hilarious. So while you were at the the post game pressers, um, I was busy watching that goal. In different languages, I was watching the celebration <laughs> of every player on the pitch, and and it just dawned on me. Own pointed out to me that Fede Valverde's reaction is hilarious because he just starts pounding the ground in celebration. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Um, but so more important stuff. You you just exited the the Bosi Dan and Saladis's presser. So, what stood out to you from the post game? Well, I think that Sinan wanted to highlight that Real Madrid completed a very solid first half. You could tell that he was happy with, with how the team performed in the health in the first half. I I kind of disagree with him. I, I I think that Real Madrid controlled the game very well, but you know, kind of refused to to create chances through taking any kind of risk. But Zidane was happy with the with the first half and obviously satisfied, at least satisfied if not happy with the with the result because, you know, obviously the the game was pretty much over and Real Madrid ended up risking a, a draw and, and things are still like they were last Friday. So he was he was satisfied with the with the result, obviously not, not happy and wanted to highlight that Real Madrid probably deserved to score in the in the first half as well. He said that, you know, Real Madrid deserved uh, to score a goal in the first half and, and get the lead. What do you think happened? Like, because if, you know, Zidane mentioned obviously the first half and, and the performance they had there. It was, it was quite, it was quite different the second half. I mean, part of that was because Real Madrid just lost control. And the other thing was that Valencia actually just grew into the game and played better. Um, what, what do you think actually happened like at halftime and even like beyond those first 20, 25, 30 minutes or so when Valencia grew into the game? Is there something yeah. that you saw that just kind of changed that? that was a red flag for you and you were, you were getting worried about? 
not not really it was like very spontaneous and it happened it's like valencia started gaining momentum not, nothing i mean at least from from my point of view nothing changed tactically because rodrigo and isco were already switching positions very often during those first great 20 minutes so yeah. not not really so it's just that valencia started gaining momentum they like they kind of gained some composure and all that and you know stopped like throwing the ball away and just defending and try to keep the ball more often. Parejo obviously improved a lot after those 20 or 25 minutes and, you know, started dominating the tempo of the game a little bit more. But no, I, I don't think they can point out any specific issue or tactical thing that, you know, completely changed the game. When, uh, when, uh, when I, I thought like when, when some of the, the substitutions were made, um, in particular, the Jovic in for Modric. I thought any control that we had left in midfield kind of just disappeared because yeah. Jovic is going to be on the end of those chances, but he's not going to be involved in the build-up. And uh, they just weren't getting the ball into good positions really until Jovic scored the disallowed goal. And then obviously the the chaos at the corner in the end, which um, I'm sure his presence helped in some capacity. But um, is there anyone from Real Madrid that stood out to you today in terms of their performance? Well, you have to. I think you have to mention Courtois because he saved on on Valencia's biggest chance after Ramos slipped, uh, saved uh, Valencia's opening goal. Even though obviously they all, they also got the lead a little bit later, and obviously his header late in the game helped helped a lot as well. But I think that you know, I obviously liked Fede a lot in in the in the first half. He struggled a little bit in the second. But he he completed some very very notable uh, steals in the in those first half and helped Real Madrid a lot recovering position on on Valencia's uh, part of the field. Yeah, he was everywhere, especially in that in the first half. In the second half, I think the team kind of just collapsed a little bit, and he wasn't like it's interesting. I think if you look at his role and Casemiro's role, Casemiro this season has been very disciplined about staying in the right position and staying in that role and not venturing forward yeah. too much. But Fede left his post often. And I think, though he had like really good individual moments, I think you kind of saw the team struggle getting back in transition. Um, yeah. Uh, one I thing, to mention, I, I, yeah. I remember one specific play where Fede lost his position and started press, pressing like crazy, like he was Real Madrid's first man pressing Valencia's defensive line and, and Valencia created a very good chance of it. So... Yeah, Valverde wasn't as disciplined keeping his position, but other than that, I think that it was a good performance from him as usual. Do you think ultimately, um, like to me, if you had asked if it, if it was a draw in this game, a part of me wouldn't have been surprised because Barcelona dropped points, so I just kind of knew something was going to happen. That, And it's funny, like right until Benzema scored, that, that second before, my train of thinking was that we were on such a high yesterday with Odegaard's performance and Real Sociedad, the way they played against Barcelona. They were really the dominant team. We were on such a high then. And then to just finish the weekend behind Barcelona in points, like felt such, like such a sucker punch, like right in the gut. Um, the goal, obviously, um, a point here that's actually very meaningful in uh, the grand scheme of things, if you ask me. I, I, I don't know if I would have taken it before the game. I would have really thought that Real Madrid could have won this game even without Casemiro, even without Hazard. Uh, but when I saw the second, the way the second half unfolded, I was I was pretty happy. So, do you think what is like what? How do you feel about this? Um, like, what is your mood heading into the classical now? Well, I obviously after I before before Benzema's goal, it was a big wasted opportunity just because I think Real Madrid had enough to to win this game. To be honest, because you know the. the Again, I, I didn't see any specific issue after those 20, first 25 minutes. It's just that Valencia, they let Valencia control the, the tempo of the game a bit more. But obviously, uh, my mood is, is very similar to Zidane's because, you know, in the end you rescue a draw and obviously you, you would have liked to, to, to get the win and get some kind of lead before a Clásico. But in the end, you, you, cannot feel, you cannot feel bad or sad when when you rescue a draw in, in the last second in such a tough atmosphere like, like Valencia. We were commenting on the, on the press box that this is always one of Valencia's biggest games of the season at home against Madrid. And when, yeah. you, re when you rescue a point in, in this kind of situation, you, you, you cannot feel, feel sad or, or, or discouraged, even, even if you were actually discouraged. I, I mean, before that goal, you know, the goal changes everything. 
I also think like not only that, and obviously we know. I mean, you're right that Valencia in games like this, this is the one they circle, and this is the one Real Madrid fans circle because they know that it's by default exactly. one of the toughest games in the schedule. Um, I think Real Madrid, all things considered, if you, I, the more I think about it, a draw in this scenario where I think they were outplayed overall, they conceded the better chances. Um, Ferran Torres is not a great finisher. If he was, maybe this would have been wor- worse than one-one. I think. Uh, the other thing to consider is Valencia really, beyond this, they didn't have an extra game to think about. They don't have a huge Clásico to think about after this. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a week off before they go to Valladolid. They don't have the concerns of, that we had in terms of, oh, we have to, we can't play Casemiro because that Sorry. that might be risky. All of those things, I think, also just play in, in, played a factor in this. Um, and the more I think about it, I think a draw is something I take, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, Casemiro was a factor, and Zidane Zidane in the press conference didn't want to to admit it. You know, he he said that uh, he has started his, his his best available lineup again, even though obviously we all know that Casemiro would have started if he wasn't uh, a yellow card away from from suspension. Yeah. But but yeah, it's obvious that you know this is. A, I cannot blame Madrid from for you know not taking this game as seriously as Valencia it's just a, a, a routine a win game for Madrid even though obviously they know that it's going to be more difficult than other games but they don't have that motivation factor they don't consider Valencia a, a, a rival you know one of the one of the rivals in La Liga and Valencia do so the, that kind of motivation and that kind of atmosphere is always a place always a, a, a huge factor um is there anything that Else, before I let you go, and that jumps out at you that you want to talk about, whether it was something that Salada said, maybe that was interesting, or just from the game itself, anything? Well, I'd like to to point out that you know, uh, first of all, I think that Rodrigo and, and Isco should have taken more risk during the during the game. I think they were playing in well, they were playing obviously as forwards, as, as attackers, one on the left and one on the right, and you know, Benzema was a little bit isolated and tried to, to help create chances and all that, but I, I missed a little bit from Rodrigo. And I actually asked Zidane about it, about this 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 topic and, and he agreed with me. He he highlighted I, I also highlighted in the question that Rodrigo and, and Isco were great help in the midfield because mm-hmm. they were. But and Zidane noted that and said that he completely agreed with me on that point. But he also agreed that you know he, the team missed a little bit of of, of uh, attacking mindset, and that's why he brought in uh, Vinicius and and Joby, um, Bale, sorry, trying yeah. to to change the the, the, the game completely. So uh, it's true that I, I missed a little bit of a, of an attacking attitude and character from from Rodrigo today, especially because we know that Isco is more of a midfielder. Yeah, um, I think that that's all true. And I think you saw that with, I mean, in the first half as, as quote-unquote, let's say, dominant that Real Madrid were in those, the, the first half of the first half, I'd say. Um, if you look at the chances they created, it, they were actually, they, it's not like they were like, you know, they, were, they weren't sitters. The best one was probably the Benzema header that went just wide from the Nacho yeah. cross. Uh, and then the Cruz and Valverde shot some outside the box, which Dominic saved really brilliantly. But... Um, other than that, it's not like they created a bunch of chances. And Rodrigo and Isco, mm, they weren't entirely incisive. I think they moved. I think what you give them, though, is they worked really hard. They were they were exactly. moving constantly. And I don't think you can take that away from them. But no. it's it's not easy to break down this Valencia team under Salatis so far. And, and Ajax also had a lot of difficulty over the course of 90 minutes. So, yeah, um, yeah this is a good team. And... Uh, and uh, and a draw by the end of it, um, you know, is in the 95th minute is is not not as bad as a loss. That's for sure. Lucas, um, I know it's late in Valencia. Um, have a safe <laughs> commute home. Uh, and Thank thanks you. for your time, my friend. And hala Madrid. Thank you, hala Madrid. All right, thanks, bro. All right, brother, no problem. You're vlogging right. today, right? Yeah, tonight. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, bro. Thanks, man. All right. Take care, man. All right. You too. Bye. See ya. Bye. All right, welcome to part two of the post-game podcast. Um, joining me from a much less glamorous place than the Mestaya, somewhere on Earth, um, is Om Arvin. Om, how you doing? I'm doing... Mm, I mean, I was doing better right at the end of the game, right? Because of the equalizer. But having gone <clears throat> gone back and had the time to look over some things, rewatch some of the second half, you know, it's I could be better. I'm not devastated, but I could be better. 
I fully expected that that was going to happen. Like the natural re- reaction is that once everyone comes down from this um, and actually reflects on the game, it was actually pretty poor. So we'll go through it from A to Z, from first half to second half. What changed? <clears throat> what happened throughout? Uh, and we'll just dissect it as best we can. So starting lineup, Casemiro obviously not in the lineup, not shot left back. Any surprises to you there? Um, no, not at all. Um, there were some people who were questioning why Nacho was playing left back, but I don't really know what the option was other than to play Carvajal um, at left back and bring in Odriozola on the right. Um, I mean, I actually think Carvajal is, is fairly good at left back, but you know, I, I, it's really kind of hard to find fault with like playing a player who's more comfortable in that position there. And also Odriozola, you know, he was... He was he was all right last game, especially with his offensive contribution. But I think with needing that defensive security on the flanks, it was probably better to go with Nacho, um, so you could have Carvajal on the right. But yeah, not really yeah. a surprise. I, I was I was surprised at some of the reactions to it though. But Casemiro Cas- being being benched actually was was the main surprise for me. But other than that, I basically understood everything else. Casemiro, or sorry, Carvajal left back would have worried me less than Odriozola at a right back, um, mostly because Jose Gaia on that side um, has been very good this season. I think right. he would have he would have uh, gave Odriozola some some trouble on the flank. Um, Casemiro not starting was it wasn't completely surprising to me, but I would have said I w- I was fifty fifty on it whether he would have started or not. I wouldn't have been surprised either way. I think and. Uh, but I guess if I were to hedge one way or the other, I would say I was slightly more surprised that he didn't start than that he did start. And when when I saw him on the bench, I couldn't really see any scenario that he would come on anyway. Um, if Real Madrid were winning, I just assumed Zidane would have tried to control the game as best he could and see it out. And if they were losing, then you just don't bring him on anyway. So um, the starting lineup is what it was. I, so when you look at the moving parts offensively, the first... I don't know, 20 minutes to maybe half hour if you really wanted to stretch it. Real Madrid were the better team. Um, they kept the ball. They were moving a lot in the half spaces. They always had an outlet there, whether it was Modric, Isco, or Benzema. Um, I thought actually Valencia defended those off-ball runs pretty well and, and denied those passing lanes, but it also created more space for others, particularly Cruz down the middle, who um, on one occasion, he just basically unchallenged because Valencia looking at everybody else. He he brings the ball forward and shoots, um, and he's got a really good shot on him. So they they didn't close him down. And then, um, well, I think it should be noted right now, Kroos in this game was great. Um, his he didn't misplace a single pass in the first half, and that's actually really impressive because a lot of his passes just weren't roti- routine. A couple of them just completely broke Valencia's pass in a tight space. And um, and I think overall he he completed something ridiculous like out of the 107 passes I think I want to say 102 or 103 completed which was the highest passing accuracy of any or it's a record for this season in La Liga of any player um, and pretty impressive in a game like this where actually the outlets just grew harder and harder to find um, as the game wore on but is there anything from that first half that you that you were impressed with and if so what was it? And um, and why couldn't Real just sustain it, I guess? So the way I would define this game just kind of overall from a tactical perspective was two kind of blunt offenses coming up against fairly solid defenses. And I think in the first 20 minutes, like you said, you can make a case that Real Madrid was a better team. And there was there was like something fundamental about what Zidane was doing that, you know, that was good. It didn't go all the way. I, I didn't think like it was executed optimally, but there was something fundamental there that was helping us. And it was the positioning one was really, really fluid. You know, um, you mentioned roaming in the half spaces. Isco initially started on the left. Rodrigo was initially on the right. Then they swapped positions and Isco was coming into midfield a lot. Modric and Valverde were exchanging positions at the pivot, you know, moving between the lines. It was really hard to get kind of like a hold a strict hold on what our exact offensive structure was, but the common thread was that the positioning was really narrow. Um, Both Rodrigo and Isco were coming really, really close to Benzema, almost sitting in the center as opposed to the half spaces. Um, And that shrunk Valencia's 4-4-2 
defensive structure inwards and provided space for our fullbacks to go one versus one and get, get off free crosses. And that's what's fundamentally sound about that, right? Like when, you, when you're thinking about how you want to design your attacking structure, you know, with, with, when you have that midfield overload, you, you, you want to position all your technical players in the center to create that space out wide. And like on a very basic level, that's what someone like Pep Guardiola does. Why, why I say it wasn't executed, you know, optimally is because the fluidity was so much that, you know, sometimes like the, the ball circulation, you know, wasn't always there. We, we, we sometimes didn't know, you know, we had to think about where we were going to pass the ball instead of it being kind of automatic because there were so many moving parts. And, you know, it, it, once Valencia started, I think, to to realize that the threat was coming out wide and they needed to shut down the fullbacks from essentially like the 20 minute, 20 minute mark onwards, you saw, you know, Valencia's fullbacks working a lot harder to get on Nacho and Carvajal. You saw Daniel Voss helping out on Nacho a lot. And that's where our offense began to be stunted. And that's where, again, I say the execution wasn't as good as it could be because for a fun, for it being fundamentally like just on a basic basis it being like a good plan we had nothing else besides going to the fullbacks and getting a cross off and when we had so many players in the center we didn't seem to have to find a way to get them involved play short passing connections through the middle and create something through through a different kind of way and that that was really the key issue with our offense throughout this game once Valencia made their adjustment worked harder in the in the wide areas Essentially, we only had long shots. You, you mentioned that one cross one, you know, Valverde early in the first half was kind of like probably the other best long shot we had throughout the game, but it was mainly low percentage and a couple, you know, headers here and there in the second half. And that was the story of our offense. And yeah, so it mainly I put it down to why we couldn't sustain it because Valencia reacted pretty well, you know, it just in the flow of things. And we didn't seem to have another, another, you know, mo- another angle of attack, another way to break Valencia down, which was a bit odd because, like, the basic idea of what Zidane was trying to do was good. It just, it just never went all the way. I- I'd say like we executed like the basic plan, like, um, like about fifty percent as well as we could have. Like, th- there was definitely a lot of room for improvement there. It was definitely one of the more fluid offensive schemes I've seen from Zidane this season. The other one that sticks out obviously is the PSG game. The main difference being that Hazard was in that game and Real Madrid were just at another level and they had Marcelo at left back and they, they were combining really well on that left side. I would also um, say, just to quickly add, Isco, Isco was more disciplined with his roaming. Like, he, he roamed, but he roamed in a way to attack the open space, you know, break PSG's defensive lines and act as a progressive outlet. But like as you've seen over the, the the game since then, that roaming has just kind of turned into like the thing we didn't really like in like the 17-18 season and, and, and so on when he's gravitating towards the ball too much. So like to me that's kind of like roaming is not necessarily bad. I'm not meaning to say that fluid offense is not necessarily good, but it has to be done in a way that's like seeking to exploit spaces, pull pull the defenders out of position and provide you progressive options. And there's a difference between Isco doing it versus PSG the way he did and then doing it the way he did today where, you know, it didn't really have as much as an, as much of an impact besides, you know, shrinking Valencia's defense and initially creating those open pathways down the flanks. Sorry, I just needed to like say that real quick. Well, that and um, so, I mean, just build off on the PSG game a little bit again. Um, Real just sustained it for a longer period. They sustained a high energy level of the, the counter pressing and possession for a long time and they created a lot of good chances. And in this game, um, they didn't have that hazard factor. But Isco's role was, in some ways, uh, less decipherable. In that, like in that PSG game, you just knew that like Real Madrid would just toy with PSG on the left side, and then it would eventually break on a switch to Isco or or Carvajal on that right side, and PSG would just kind of collapse. In this game, there were moments where like Isco would get the ball on the left, release the ball, sprint to the center or right side. And may or may not get it back, but but either way, he tried to roam a little bit and kind of get Valencia's defense to shift a little bit. But to me, his role today was less about a, like a kind of a diamond role and more just like this weird interchangeability with Rodrigo. 
but in an extreme way where like we've seen Real Madrid's flanks swap all the time throughout the years. But it would be like through periods of like 15 minute increments where they would swap. In this game, Rodrigo and Isco were basically just wingers and on any given sequence, you didn't know if they were on the right side or the left side. And um, I also just think it's a, it's a testament to the way Valencia defended today. Um, I think um, they basically, none, none, of the, none of that really seemed to bother them at all. I mean, there was, if you look at Real Madrid's chances, they really, they really wasn't clear-cut chances. Um, and part of that reason was because Valencia just defended well. Like, both Garay and, and Gabriel basically just cleared everything that came at them. Um, Nacho's crossing was, I think, actually really good in this game, but it's not like they use that option often. And the two crosses he put in, um, that I can remember from the first half, both of them were really good. One of them was the Benzema chance that that just kind of glanced at the far post, and that was probably their best chance. And outside of that, yeah, I think that was our best. That was our best chance in the first half. Valencia not only defended well, but they also started to deal with the counter press a little bit better. And um, maybe like we we could kind of just go over those twenty twenty five minutes to begin the half. But Valencia ended up having the better chances of that first half because Ferran Torres. Um, I think if he was a bit less maybe panicky in front of goal, he like that the first chance he had, um, where he he kind of cuts it to the right and Varan it looked like he had that covered, but then the cutback kind of threw him off a little bit. And Ferran, if he just puts a little curl on that in the far post or maybe squares, that's the goal. Um, then he had a chance right before halftime, which um, which was saved. And then obviously he had one huge one. Um, just in the six-yard box from a header, uh, from a guy across. And then Manu Vallejo had a huge one at the end of the game. And so, like, but, like, there was three really good first-half chances from Valencia, even though Real Madrid dominated a lot of the ball, right? Yeah. As my voice starts to fade because of the whole Courtois-Benzema thing at the end of the game. So, I mean, I Valencia got like the better high quality opportunities, but I wasn't super impressed with their offense overall in the sense that a lot of what they were creating just kind of came from like either like these sort of transition situations or breakdowns from our defensive end. Like the, the, like the really big um, uh, Torres chance that came in the 34th minute, you mentioned like, you know, before, before halftime um, it, it was like, you tweeted out that Rodrigo was good individually um, on defense. I don't necessarily agree with that, but on disagree with, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But on that particular sequence, you know, Rodrigo was initially guarding Gaia and he kind of comes out to press and he was out of sync with Carvajal and Carvajal reacts late. And by the time, by the time they both figure it out, Gaia has a um, free cross that Courtois misjudges and then Torres comes and like heads it over the bar. And that was really kind of their, their real big chance of that half. But overall, I think Valencia didn't have many solutions against our press, especially in the first half. So, like, our press was super simple to describe. You know, it's it was a man-to-man, 4-4-2 high press with Modric stepping out of midfield um, alongside Benzema. And that, and that was it. That was the 4-4-2 high press just applied man-to-man. And because Parejo was dropping and Coquelin was, like, the main option in midfield... There was such a huge distance between their ball players at the back and you know the players in the front line and the players out wide that basically their option for most of the game really was just to kind of play long balls that we generally dealt with well. In fact, on the goal that we conceded in the second half, it was is a rare moment. Well, I think in that on the second half our press kind of went away a little bit. It wasn't as consistent, but it was a, it, w- it was a moment where you know we didn't set it up properly. You know, Benzema pressed on the right, so Modric didn't have to step up, and Kroos didn't react quick enough, so it allowed a free pass into Coquelin in midfield, who just kind of hit a hopeful ball out to the right. Daniel Voss wins it. Valencia countered down, you know, the right-hand side, and they have the cutback, and Soler scores. So, like, it, it was those types of moments where, you know, it kind of fell right for them, and they just kind of took advantage. But overall, I didn't think offensively they were providing that much of a threat and that was kind of disappointing to me that we we conceded when offensively I didn't think they were doing anything special no and actually it kind of actually reminded me of the way they played against uh, Ajax in a way because 
in the Ajax game, a lot of the time they just didn't have the ball. And Ajax looked like they were the better team, but they actually weren't creating anything. And Valencia just weren't doing anything offensively, but they had these chaotic counterattacks that somehow just kind of, they found themselves in the box and, and just created. And it was more chaotic than anything. Um, but it was like, it was something that worked for them. And I think it's something that worked for them today too. And I think overall they'll be disappointed they dropped the, the two points at the end. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and you're right. I mean, it wasn't until the second half that I really thought, uh, like actually, maybe uncharacteristic of him, but Coughlin actually had a couple really great passes in the second half. Uh, one of them, one of them, one of them was uh, to Dan to Daniel Wasp, but not the one that you just spoke of. Like it was just another really great one touch through ball on the right to him, and um, and then and Gaia started to take players on Modric and Carvajal. There was one sequence where he took out both on 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 one dribble. They started to have those moments more in the second half than they did in the first half, and. Um, I guess back to your Rodrigo point, there was, within the span of four minutes, I remember, he had one, I think he, to your point, he was probably better individually defending than maybe in a, in a systemic way. Um, he had this really nice sequence on the right in the 30th minute where he wins the ball and he starts a counterattack. And then four minutes later, he's on the left side and Jaime Costa is doing all these uh, stepovers with the ball, trying to beat him, and Rodrigo just takes it from him really easily. And... Uh, <laughs> I guess it was just kind of weird. Also, I, again, I, not knowing kind of where Isco and Rodrigo are going to be in any given sequence. I've seen that from one Real Madrid player, but both of them almost had this kind of this just weird roaming role that was, um, I guess, interesting and, and not that efficient either way today. Um, there was yeah. something you just said that I wanted to touch on. Now. I don't remember what it was. Um, but well, the, we I have can, a couple Go ahead. I was going to say, I have, a, I have a couple things to say. And in the meantime, you can like remember what it was that you were going to say. Um, one, two, and now I forgot what I was going to say. Um, Man, yeah, so your I'll, podcast, baby. <laughs> I guess I'll just talk about, because you were mentioning how Valencia were better in the second half. And really that was concentrated, I think, to the start of it. And I guess just to kind of like, build off of how you were saying that like Valencia were just kind of taking advantage of like chaotic moments, you know, in the IX game and, and, and especially this game, it's just kind of how they operate like that 46 minute chance when um, there was that Torres one versus one, that was probably Courtois best save of the game. It came yeah. from like a long ball that Varane stepped up and he headed down that Soler then picked up, passed it off to Rodrigo um, Ramos slips in the process and you know they burst down the left hand side and eventually Torres gets onto the ball and it's one versus one save like that was another really big chance right like they had like three big chances in that in that first half there was that there was the goal which we already described and then there was the one at the very end which Vallejo had which you mentioned that came from Nacho essentially like almost providing an assist so just like these three kind of chaotic moments that they just capitalized on. And that was, I think, kind of like the summation of their best chances in the half. So it wasn't a case of like Valencia being a constant threat, but in the moments when they managed to be a threat, they ended up creating really high quality chances. Um, and we just didn't really have a way to respond offensively for the things I described earlier. Like the second half offensively to me was just kind of a continuation of the problems of the first half and us us not having the solutions really to deal with it while also Valencia defending pretty well um which Kian you mentioned that we obviously have to give them credit for that um I think it's it's interesting to to kind of note just when when things kind of dropped off I mean it wasn't really like because I asked Lucas what he what he observed and what he thought um like kind of happened is how Ramja kind of eventually lost control. And he didn't really see like something that happened like um, instantly. Like there wasn't like this switch where like, oh, everything suddenly collapsed like, to me. And I agree with him in the sense that like, to me, it was like a gradual just lo loss of control. Um, but you and I were talking on Slack about like Modric getting taken off um, mm -hmm. and with Jovic's entrance. Um at that point, I believe they were already down 1-0, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and I actually, at halftime, I kind of noted that, like, 
I don't know what the solution is because actually they were playing well in the first half and you just need to create better chances, which is easier said than done against Valencia, who pretty much sustained their momentum for the 90 minutes against Ajax, who had their entire season on the line. So they could. It, it's easier said than done. But one thing I had crossed my mind was like, if you're going to put those dangerous crosses in <clears throat> and Valencia are, are guarding those half, half space runs well, and you want to maybe combat it by either going down the middle or getting more crosses into Benzema, who was good in the air, obviously, then maybe Jovic is a, a second presence for Valencia to, to worry about. And so I, I didn't mind the sub, but then what I saw was without Modric, not only were they not creating, they just weren't crossing the halfway line at that point because Valencia has, had also just started really pressing well. And um, they, so they lost control, but I actually want to rewind it back for a sec. Um, the, the two subs on the flanks, Rodrigo and Isco for Bale and Vinicius. So with, uh, I thought Rodrigo overall had a decent game. Offensively, I think he just, he wasn't incisive enough. He had one run, dribbling run in the fourth minute <clears throat> where he beats a couple of players, gets in the box, which was good, and then he tumbles over. And uh, I believe it was Coughlin or someone was yelling at him for diving. But I think he just, he just fell over. Um, apart from that, he didn't do much offensively. And so it was kind of a fresh thing to do to bring on those two players. Um, Isco was another one who at least kept kept control a li- to some degree. I don't think it was his best game, but um, with those two coming on, two very direct players, Vinicius had one chance where he cuts inside, shoots. The better option probably was to just lay it off to Cruz and Modric. But it's one of those like. Just pass it, but if it goes in at the near post, then great, you're a genius. I'm not, I'm not going to blame him too much for that. <clears throat> but uh, a long-winded way of saying Valencia's goal, if you rewind it to the top of the, top of the film, Carlos Soler is essentially Gareth Bale's man. Like I, and I understand like the way that sequence unfolded, that it may have been not entirely a moment where Real Madrid's defense was set up and it was unexpected, but... Uh, a, a winger's job in that situation is to mark the winger who's making that run in behind him, especially when your defense is spread thin and the wing back behind you is already tra- trying to cover another player. That's Bale's, and Bale has fresh legs. He had just come on, and he could have easily caught up to Solar if he just sprinted back and got there. So to me, underrated part of that conceding that goal, and I don't know if anyone's talking about it because I think you probably have to rewind the tape too far to actually realize whose man that was. But I think Bale should have picked up Carlos Soler. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, um, I don't know if I have much more to say about that goal. Um, speaking to like Vinicius and Bale's offensive impact, I I was happy with those substitutions. Um, I, I felt like given... Like, I, I would have described our offensive performance as essentially dead in the second half. There were two headers that we created. Like, ice, like basically looking at everything except the uh, winning goal, because obviously that was, a, that was a good chance we created where we scored. Um, we, we had two headers inside the box. Those were our only shots inside the box. One of them was an Isco header, which just went nowhere. It was one of the few times since the first 20 minutes where Valencia did not respond to Kroos' switch of play, and there was a two-man game on the right-hand side between Rodrigo and Carvajal, and they, they had plenty of time to get off the free cross. The other one was a Benzema header that just looped really high in the air. It was no problem for the keeper, and that came from an Isco one versus one on the left. And those were the two only shots inside the box that, that were not blocked, and then the rest was all just shots from outside. So that was basically the summation of our offense. So if Zidane wasn't going to necessarily like, change the way you know, his team was circulating the ball and, and blah, blah, blah. I thought you, you probably need to bring on players who can create something and, and provide a little more, a little bit more incisiveness. Um, and so I was happy with Vinicius and Bale coming on, but it just didn't end up having that much of an impact. And I think because it was just, I think the larger part of the offensive struggles was systemic. It was like, it, it, this was especially frustrating for me because it, it was not like some of the other performances where I just feel like, you know what, I think Zidane just completely got it all wrong. It was a case of you're almost there. You almost designed something that would have been really good, but it just just never went far enough. Like the execution just wasn't as diverse as it could have been. And 
I think that would that just proved too much at the end of the day against a defense that was pretty well organized and adjusting to to the to the one thing we were doing well. Um, so yeah, I. I was excited about the subs, but they didn't end up making the impact that I hoped for. And then essentially it came down to a set piece that Courtois, the hero, the greatest goalkeeper of all time, did something that neither Casillas nor Navas could have done with that header on target that eventually led to Benzema's goal. And because of that, now um, Courtois is my goalkeeper of the decade. It actually was an incredible header. Like when when you look at the the replays, and then there was a picture that um, was posted on Twitter, like just the angle of him outleaping the entire Valencia defense, and it looks like he's legitimately one meter ahead uh, into into space ahead of every single other player who just has is like completely helpless to uh, to just to just what they're witnessing in this unstoppable force. And um, Zidane was talking about it after the game. Like, that was just Courtois' decision to go up. And Courtois was saying, like, listen, like, I, I can get in, I can I can become an aerial threat. Um, <laughs> and he was. Like, it was, and it, it's funny. So, like, I was, I sent you the clip, like, the French commentators, when Courtois went up <laughs> for the header and forced the save. I, I don't even, I kind of blacked out. Was it a save? Was it saved? Like, or was it? Did yeah, it, it went, it went straight at the goalkeeper right the header. but it was a great leap right yeah uh so and and when when he he basically won the header the french commentators were like laughing they could they almost had to like stop commentating because they couldn't commentate because they were laughing so hard at, at what was happening and then benzema scores the rebound and then the the chaos that ensues of benzema running and then the team following him but then courtois running in a different direction and then fede valverde doing whatever he did he was doing in that moment where he was completely possessed by an other otherworldly um supernatural force where he was just pounding the ground in in deliriousness it was it was quite a scene and um quite a I, I got to tell you, all things considered, the way it unfolded, and I agree with you. I'm not sure what else Zidane could have necessarily done. This was a difficult game, and it just uh, it was a, it was that's it. It was a difficult game against a good good opponent and a tough place to play historically. And it was about to be three points lost, but the way it ended, um, it kind of I still think it it takes us to a high more than anything. And I would have much rather drawn like this than I've been on the other end where you can see it at the end and it's just deflating. Yeah, so I mean, psychologically, right, even though the result is the exact same, and logically, if you're like an analyst or whatever, you're probably, you probably, it's illogical to kind of like, look at a game where like, if you concede last versus you conceding, um, you know, right at the end to equalize as different, right? Like, the performance, like, if we switch around the placement of the goals, you know, it shouldn't change your evaluation of the performance, but psychologically, that's going to have an impact on the squad. Like, there were numerous videos showing multiple people's reactions. Like, you described Fede's. They also showed the bench and just how gassed, you know, Modric was. Zidane was into it. That helps. Even though, you know, that doesn't vindicate the performance necessarily or anything. That, that gives to me some of that 2016-17 belief we had where, you know, we can play, you know, not great. Um, and we can still come out with the victory with something at the end that there's just this belief and you know that that's not necessarily a rational thing it doesn't necessarily work that way but it ends up having a positive impact right it's like one of those things where players have like these pre-game superstitions and stuff which is it's kind of ridiculous right like you wearing a certain color socks logically is not going to affect the game but if you believe that it will affect the game then it ends up affecting the game and I feel like this is one of those moments where it gives that confidence that feeling of invincibility so much that is that is really important going into classical and so if that's kind of the positive you want to take away from this game I think I think that's the main one I was actually going to ask you: Did did you feel any hint of sixteen seventeen comeback in in this in this last minute um, draw? And yeah, absolutely. Kind of I've been yeah. I've been saying the past like three weeks or so, just the way we're playing, it, it has a very sixteen seventeen feel to me. Where like some of it is like I don't feel all of the performances are great, but we're winning anyway. And then like the PSG game will come and Zidane will put something together, and all the players will buy in and just do everything right, and it's like. Yeah, this this really feels like that season where we ended up winning the double and ended up playing some really great football in moments. So, you know, good omen, I guess. Um, 
just got yeah. you just got to roll with it, right? Like it's if we're you know this stuff happens, right? Barcelona, how do you think Barcelona have been winning the leagues the past couple of years? It's not like they've been outstanding by any means, right? It's Ter Stegen and Lionel Messi winning games at the end. We also see that absolutely stomped Barcelona. In my opinion, it was probably the best performance on the ball all season long, and Barcelona ended up drawing. You know, it just it is what it is, and you know, we got to take the dirty points when they come as well. Yeah, uh, I'll sign up for that. Um, I guess just one thing before we move to questions, not many questions tonight, but uh, I think in terms of like the art of a center forward dropping into midfield to dispossess a, an opposing midfielder, just coming up through their blind spot and a, a midfielder who has no idea that Benzema is even there, Benzema has got to be like the best in the world that I've seen do that. Like it, it's like it's like having an extra midfielder um, just pop in and do some dirty work for you and without even sacrificing any offensive production. I think it's a it's a really nice asset to have someone like that, where I'm, he starts so many counters just himself by just dropping deep and dispossessing players. I'm glad you brought up um, Benzema because. I forgot to specifically talk about him because I thought he was probably our best offensive player throughout the game. Just with the way, if, if there's like, because it was such a fluid, such a kind of chaotic offense, the one kind of consistent thing was Benzema, Benzema's movements between the lines, you know, adjusting to the players around him, like shifting left when Isco would move into the center and Rodrigo would go to the right or whatever to provide an option to progress our play. And I thought Benzema was. Benzema is so good, and this is why Zidane finds him indispensable, regardless of whether Benzema scores like three La Liga goals throughout an entire season, you know, or his finishing is just not great, or he's feeling somewhat unfit. Zidane loves Benzema because Benzema just adapts seamlessly to whatever kind of offense that Zidane throws out, and he knows how to react. He has that in-game intelligence, which just, I cannot emphasize enough how difficult it is to be able to just on the fly, just know exactly where you need to be to balance the offensive structure and help yeah. your team's ball progression. And he was quite good with that throughout this game. And I thought that's what kept our offense afloat, you know, especially in the second half where nothing was really going for us. And Matt, I think, was spot on probably giving him the man of the match award. I, I'm, I would have given it to Courtois if it wasn't for that, you know, pretty big mistake in the first half where he misjudged the cross and gave um, Torres the free header. But... Yeah, I think Benzema, one of those understated performances, even though he got the goal. But if it wasn't for the goal, I, I think people might have like overlooked the things he was doing in this match. Six key passes, too. Game high. Um, all right, so patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Uh, it's very important you go there if you like the show because we're basically down to one episode that's free per week, and that's your weekend show. That's this one. Basically, everything else is on Patreon. And uh, we're doing a ton of bonus shows every Tuesday. Matt Wilty and I, we review the players on loan. And we're going to have a really fun episode this Tuesday. Um, just talking about Odegaard and regular and a bunch of other things. Um, as Sevilla, we're a part of a, a ludicrous 68 crosses in today's game. And, uh, and Sam Sharp also is now uh, on top of it with a, with a Castilla segment where he reviews the Castilla game from the weekend. Any midweek shows, Champions League, Copa del Rey, midweek La Liga games, all those are for patrons. Thursday mailbag with Lucas Navarrete, only for patrons. And uh, also other uh, other shows. So like last Thursday, Eduardo Alvarez and I, we did we reviewed Real Madrid's 3-2 win over Manchester United in the year 2000. That's Redondo's famous Taquanaza. We broke it down. We rewatched it. We talked about our experiences watching it almost 20 years ago and also just reflecting on it 20 years later. That's only for patrons. And it's a timeless episode, but also we previewed the Valencia game with David Garrido. So all kinds of shows like that um, is what we're going to be doing. So you're going to get like about three-ish three three -ish shows just on Patreon directly. So um, here's our first patron question. It's from Alex Perez. He says, if you're in charge, who would you bring in during the January window and who would you get rid of? Um, I mean, I'd, I don't, I wouldn't get rid of anyone. I, I don't think, unless I'm missing something really obvious, I guess a lot of people are still feeling negatively towards Bale, but I wouldn't do it. I feel he has, I feel he has something to contribute. We can reevaluate that entire situation in the summer, but 
for now, he stays. Um, if, as to who I could bring in, we discussed this like pretty extensively the last time I was on the podcast with, with Gabe and you. Um, it, like if it was FIFA or something, I would bring Pogba. But looking at the realistic options, I would kind of sit tight and wait till the summer and, and look at things then because um, I... I'm cool with what we have, and I'm not necessarily sure that the like the Ericsons, the Van de Beeks would, you know, would would be the greatest options right now. Um, I do have some suggestions though. Um, as per the transfer gurus on Twitter, I think we should purchase Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, um, yeah. I, mean, I also think we should so bring in Lionel Messi. Yep. Uh, those that, are two obvious ones. That is what I do. Kevin De Bruyne, especially. Like, that'll be so easy, right? Like, I mean, he's just dying to come. Man City will just give up their best player. Pep Guardiola will be absolutely cool with it. Just so easy. I also think it, it, it would be nice to have the, the added security of Ter Stegen or Oblak to be Courtois' backup keeper, just in case. Uh, yeah, but, but only Courtois as a backup. Down. Only as a backup, right? Like, we, 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 Courtois is just too good. He's just too good be benched um but i'm cool spending like 150 million on a backup um, my only skepticism is i'm not sure if ter stegen or oblak can can meet headers when we need a goal <laughs> that's the only thing that's holding me back from this um i but, think courtois might be the only goalkeeper in la liga right now to have like an actual expected goals total now because of that shot uh, just just a just a funny thing to think about like what was the xg on that shot it, it was, was. I actually remember looking at it, but I don't remember. It was point, point zero, point 0.07. So that Courtois has the highest XG of any goalkeeper in the league and the highest shot quality. I, I, he just offers something that no one else can. I'm telling you, the greatest goalkeeper we've ever had. So I also, um, on another, on a serious note, I, I was being I, serious. All right. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bring in. Anybody, uh, this winter transfer market, and I wouldn't sell anybody. Um, that doesn't mean that the squad can't be improved, but the winter market is always tricky to build on. Um, the people who want a Casemiro backup, I think, are just missing the the point that Zidane does not want a Casemiro backup because the, whoever you're going to get right now is you either need him to be good enough to to be a backup. And then the, the, obviously the challenge is that he, he can't be too good because he's not going to play um, behind Casemiro. And if Casemiro does go down, Zidane will just shuffle the scheme, either put Fetty in the anchor role again or um, or maybe play with a double pivot or whatever. I, I don't even know if we talked about Fetty yet. But right, I, I think was about to ask you how you felt about Fetty in, in that role today. Lucas and I briefly touched on it. Um, but just that, and you and I talked about it on Slack a little bit, but Casemiro... Um, this season has been positionally pretty damn disciplined. And because of that, that's one of the reasons why Real's defense has just been better this season, especially of late. And Fede, I think, I don't know if it was intrinsic tendencies or it was Zidane barking at him to do something, but he often just left his post, um, was often on the right side and uh, with no one covering. And uh, that... I don't know if there was one direct sequence that, like, oh, Fede should have been there. I think there was a couple, but I think more systemically, you saw a lot of times where Ramdrew was outnumbered in transition, especially on the goal, obviously, uh, among among a couple other sequences. And I think with Casemiro, you obviously don't have that problem as much. Um, so I, I I don't know if he's built. So like this was it kind of reminded me um in two thousand. 17, 18, I believe it was, or maybe it was the year before. Whatever it was when we played Bayern in the Champions League and James scored against us in both legs, whatever season that was. Um, Casemiro was missing in the game at home at the Bernabeu. And a lot of us felt, myself included, that Kovacic could play that role. And when I saw Kovacic in that game against Bayern in that role, I was having a heart attack every two seconds because Kovacic would run and press as the highest man at times. And Byron would just be like, okay, pass, pass, move. And all of a sudden they were like in our final third and no one was there because Kovacic was high up the pitch. It kind of reminded me of that some on some level, just in the sense that if I'm relying on, on Kovacic or Fede, I'm not putting them in that position probably. I'm putting them either in a double pivot or 
or just in the four three three, but not as the anchor. I don't know how you feel about it. So I, I thought I thought it was an all right performance, but it's it kind of reinforces an opinion I've had for a while, which is like I just don't get why you would do it if you had a choice. And Zidane didn't really have a choice in this game, so it's like whatever. But it's not, in my opinion, and this is something that people were really honest about, especially last season, that Fede should be the DM. Um, and he, Castilla, like, he played in a double pivot as a defensive midfielder, I think you could say it, but rarely, almost never, as a single pivot defensive midfielder. And you could kind of tell that he didn't have experience in that role today. Like like you mentioned, he I don't think it was as aggressive as kind of the Kovacic situation, who really just loves pushing out of the no, it wasn't. position to press. But there was definitely where Fede was... It's kind of a situation where like you have to be okay with not being involved defensively and kind of reading it and just waiting for the moment when it enters your zone to make an impact, which Casemiro is really good at. Whereas Fede, he wants to be involved. And so he's just going to kind of gravitate towards the ball maybe a little too much and think about how am I going to stop the ball and not always think about what is the compactness of my team like, which is what a single pivot should always be thinking about. And honestly... You know, Kroos's flaw mainly is like with his coverage, not necessarily with like his position, his positional ability, right? Like when he used to play single pivot, his positioning was generally really, really good. It's like those types of things that Kroos and Casemiro think about, but Valverde wasn't necessarily thinking about that. And then on the ball, it was all right. It was interesting to see the amount of times that Modric would actually come to receive deep and switch positions with Valverde. Um, and it kind of indicated to me that, right, like on the ball, especially it's just not highlighting Valverde's best qualities, which is his energy in midfield, his box-to-box ability, his ability to carry the ball. It's just not something you want your single pivot defensive midfielder doing a lot. Like, you know, one of the things that always gets on our nerves is when Castanier decides he wants to be an attacking midfielder. So, yeah, it's it, it worked well enough, I guess, as you could expect, versus Valencia. There were not really any catastrophic moments arising from it. But as long as I have Casemiro, I'm going to always play Fede Valverde ahead of him. Um, yeah. All right. So a couple of other like, quick-hitting questions. Uh, and then I think we've covered about as, every, as much as we can. Uh, Advaith Suresh, our patron, says, Guys, I'm new to the Patreon army here in Managing Madrid. I'm excited for the brilliant content, as always. Such a pleasure to read up about my team. Is there any way I can look up the previous Lone Tracker podcast? Great question, advice. Um, just go back on the Patreon post page, and you can basically just go back. If They're not really necessarily sorted, but if you, you can just go back and you have access to them if you just go to the post section on Managing Madrid, patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Um, if you have any questions, just DM us, and we'll figure it out for you. And one last one, Chris Wilkies says... I'll be in London on business when the Classico is being played next week. My first time there. Any recommendations for where I should go watch the game in a pro Madridista environment? Thanks to Hala Madrid. I had promised Chris I'd ask David this when he was on the podcast on Friday because he's based in London. Um, then I forgot, but then I messaged him on WhatsApp and I asked him to answer it. And uh, here's, here's a response because I couldn't tell you. I've been, apart from one layover on a flight overnight, I have, I have not been to London. So David's response is, uh, as it loads, he says, I don't actually watch much football in town and not in a pro Madridista setting, but there are general places. Porterhouse in Covenant Garden, or Covent Garden, isn't bad. Cafe Kick, also nice. Really the key is finding somewhere which has premier sports. Not many of them will, but Irish pubs might. Uh, Porterhouse is an Irish pub. End quote. Also, this is worth noting. If you just Google it, um, Peña, Peña, uh, Real Madrid Peña in London, there actually is one. Uh, and they have a Facebook page. So you can probably just go on there and message them. And they, you can probably just watch it with them, which might be the best uh, best thing. But if there's any listeners on Patreon or whatever who who have any other, other ideas, just message Chris uh, on Patreon and, uh, and we'll take it from there. Oh, Marvin, is there anything else we want to discuss before I wrap it up? No, I don't think so. I think we were fairly comprehensive. All right. So that takes us uh, to the Classico. Uh, just days away. And uh, we, you better believe we'll have a ton of content. I'm working on a big preview leading up to that game. Um, but we'll have a lot of 
pre-game, post-game, everything content going up on managingmanager.com, including the podcast. And if you want the patron show to that, uh, which I'm assuming you will because it's the classical post-game, one of our biggest podcasts of the year. Again, patreon.com slash managingmanager. Go there, pledge, join the army. Um, the minimum pledge is about one Starbucks coffee per month and arguably less depending on what, what your Starbucks coffee actually looks like. So um, go there and support the show and grow with it. Um, oh, Marvin, always a pleasure, my friend. And Hala Marid. Hala Madrid. <laughs>